Have you ever looked at someone thriving in their business and wondered, how did they do it? Have you ever thought that you can't have mental health and success? Have you doubted your own ability to create a financially thriving career that still has your well-being at the forefront? Well, welcome to the Boardroom Brain Podcast, where we tackle those very questions. I'm Dr. Lauren Cook, and I'm a clinical psychologist and speaker that takes you behind the business and inside the minds of today's most successful and personally thriving leaders. We're taking a look at our guests' secrets to success, how they bounce back when they've been knocked down, and what advice they have for you. Oh, and I've got another motive too. As a clinician and company consultant who frequently sees employees struggling mentally and knocking on the door of burnout, I'm invested in having conversations about how we can bring more wellness into company culture. I wanna make sure that everyone has the absolute best work experience that we all can have. And I believe that includes making sure our businesses are invested in their employees as people, not just as time card stampers and payroll lists. So get excited to listen, learn, and leverage your own leadership skills. These conversations will help you tap into your own bravery while helping you reprioritize your sense of well-being, both at work and when you're off the clock. So step inside the conference room with me and welcome to the boardroom. Your brain is about to get a major bonus. Welcome to the Boardroom Brain Podcast, everyone. I'm Dr. Lauren Cook. I am thrilled about the guests that we have joining us today. You are going to enjoy this one so much. Let me introduce to you Seanak Roy. He is the founder and CEO of Yellow Dig. Yellow Dig is a community-driven active learning platform adopted by over 130 colleges and universities, K-12 schools, and corporate training clients. Yellowdig's mission is to transform every classroom into an active, social, and experiential learning community. Seanak graduated with a degree in mechanical engineering from IIT Bombay and completed his graduate studies at the Massachusetts Institute of Technology. Prior to founding Yellowdig, Seanak spent a decade advising global companies on technology, strategy, and growth. Seanak, welcome to the show. Lauren, great to be here. Oh, well, I can't di- wait to dive in with you today. I, we have this shared passion, you and I, a love for learning. And I know our listeners love to learn as well. And that's that's the mission of Yellow Dig. From what I understand, we always like to jump in with our guests. As you can see for people watching on YouTube, I've got a lot of books behind me. We've got the Brain Health Book Club, where we love to ask about reading. So, Shanik, what's something you're reading these days? A book, an article? What can you recommend for, for our listeners? So the book that I'm reading now is a book by John Doerr. He's a famous uh, venture capitalist um, in Silicon Valley. He wrote a book called Measure What Matters. Mm. Um, and as I'm trying to scale my business, I thought that that book would be quite interesting. Quite a few people recommended me that book. Mm-hmm. And I truly recommend anybody trying to build a business. I think it's a go-to book. Oh, thank you for that. That is a great one. We will definitely include that in the show notes for folks to get their hands on that. Now, you've advised a lot of different industries. You've been in a lot of different spaces. I'm curious, what pulled you to want to be in the teaching and learning space specifically? You know, so the company that I currently run is called Yellowdig. So we provide uh, a software solution to colleges and universities. As you said, we work with over 130 universities. Uh, so my journey into teaching was almost accidental. So, uh, so if I kind of wind back in my earlier life, 
I spent about uh, almost a decade uh, with management consulting companies, advising corporations in various industries. Mm -hmm. And about seven years back, you know, I kind of uh, went through this kind of soul searching exercise where I wanted to start a company in a lot of people kind of think about, you know, they've been in a you know, workspace for a bunch of years and they want to say, okay, I want to start a company. And I really wanted to start something that I'm truly can connect with. So teaching and learning was something I was always excited in and I love technology. So I wanted to build something in the kind of conjunction in these two spaces. Mm -hmm. uh, and it has been a journey since I founded the company seven years back. I can only imagine. I mean, to bring those two worlds together, I think is great and so needed. And and what good timing as we had the pandemic that we all went through and learning did become basically entirely digital. What's been the most rewarding aspect to you about not only founding Yellow but now seven years later, seeing it through to this point as the CEO? Well, the rewarding part is that, you know, as you know, many startups fail. I think majority of startups fail. So when I quit my job seven years back, mm -hmm. uh, you know, it was all, you know, it was a very difficult decision that time, you know, looking backwards and I wasn't sure if this company is going to survive you know, one year or two years or three years. And now, you know, it's been seven years now. We are stalling it. We are, you know, running it and humming. I have a great team in place. It's no longer only myself. When I started, it was just me. Mm -hmm. uh, but there is a team behind it now. So, you know, seeing this grow over the last seven years and going through the learning process myself mm -hmm. of uh, starting and building a company has been very rewarding. Oh, I can only imagine. And, you know, we have a lot of listeners here who kind of sometimes dance in both worlds, the entrepreneurial space, the corporate space. Sometimes they're really considering, do I make that jump from one to the other? That takes a big leap of courage to make that step to start your own company. I mean, I'm sure a lot of listeners are wondering, Shana, what has been the secret of your success? How, how Yellow Dig has been able to survive and thrive? Well, I would say, you know, the, the big secret probably is not to give up. Um, you know, as uh, an entrepreneur, and it's not only just being an entrepreneur, if you are in a demanding work or job, you know, you probably will be able to relate to this, which is every day, you know, there are moments where things do not go the way I would expect, or, you know, I probably planned for something for a long time and just goes a very different direction. Um, and not being able to give up in those moments and kind of, you know, strive through those difficult times uh, have been important to come to this point. Mm -hmm. The other thing I would say is uh, learning. I, you know, personally, of course, we are in the learning space, but um, being an entrepreneur, I would say, has been a huge learning journey. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and I luckily had the right advisors, people, teammates around me uh, to take me through that journey uh, over the last seven years. Mm, mm. Yeah, I think that's such a great point about that piece about mentorship, having people guide you along. And I'm curious your thoughts too on, you know, really assessing, is there a market for what you're offering, you know, because I meet a lot of entrepreneurs, the passion is so there, and they're so excited about their idea, but they don't always go through that process of beta testing something and making sure there's actually a market for it. What are your thoughts on that as you were starting Yellow Dig? Well, you know, as you said, like, you know, people start and including myself, when I started my company, it was primarily passion and a problem I was very excited about, which is to make learning more enjoyable, fun, more engaging. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, the question always comes down to if there is actual a business behind it and are there people willing to pay you money for that so that you have enough revenue and support oneself and also a growing team. Um, 
my thought is that, you know, it probably is a combination of both, which mm-hmm. is, um, you know, it's important to kind of work on a problem that, you know, the founder or the person who is starting the company is passionate about. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I, I do believe every company goes through those times where things are quite difficult. And I think the passion takes the entrepreneur through those difficult times. Mm. Uh, So without that passion or without that purpose, you know, it is very hard to build a company. So I think that's what, and money cannot be that purpose unless somebody really loves money. I mean, that outside of that, you know, (laughs) it's, it's, it's going to be very, very hard to kind of sustain, you know, to build a company, which takes for longer than what most people would imagine takes to build a company. Mm -hmm. Uh, The other thing I'll also kind of mention is that, but at the same time, it is important to build a group of people around you so that one can evaluate whether that problem actually has a business opportunity behind it. And very often that not what I see is that the problem that one starts with, I mean, then there needs to be pivots around it to kind of get to the right opportunity, mm-hmm. even though, you know, the space remains the same, but the exact business or the business model can evolve, mm-hmm. um, you know, through the initial years to get to that market you know, where there are actual customers which are going to pay for those products and services. I think that's such a great point. And I'm curious to hear your thoughts on this as well. You know, we're seeing a lot of changes happening in the tech space right now. I mean, it, it was boomtown there for a while. And, you know, you turn on the news lately and you hear about all these Twitter layoffs. Meta has a huge round of layoffs that are happening. Uh, there's clearly a shift. And I'm wondering what you think about that for people who may be listening today who are interested maybe in entering the tech space, or maybe they have a tech job right now and they're wondering, is my position in danger? What do you think about that as somebody who's completely immersed in the tech space? I think the, you know, being in a technology-driven career, it could be technology or it could be any other career, which is around tech, uh, because there are so many new kind of jobs that are opening up, is very strong long-term. Mm-hmm. Uh, because if you see what's happening in every industry right now, including education where we are, mm-hmm. um, you know, education is being disrupted by technology, right? So mm-hmm. if you go like five, 10 years back, most of learning used to happen, you know, in person, physical, you know, that's how learning used to be delivered. But now we are going through a rapid transformation, especially with the pandemic towards online and digital learning. Mm-hmm. And if you look forward 10 years from now, I think a good portion of learning is going to be de- you know, delivered over digital channels or digital media and things like that. Mm-hmm. And the same trend is playing out in pretty much every other industry. So the digitization of industries is a long-term opportunity. Uh, but like anything else, there are challenges, right? The layoffs that are happening in tech, I think what may have happened is you know, there was overhiring that probably happened in some cases. In some cases, people kind of just put bets on things that should not have been put a bets on. Uh-huh. Um, and, and that kind of environment leads to like overhiring and then, you know, adjustments along the way. So some companies are, you know, going through the process of, you know, kind of being more rational about their approach, especially in the environment we are in right now. So mm-hmm. short term, there is some pain, but I would, Definitely recommend if somebody thinking is our tech, like have a long-term view because there might be some pains in the short term, you know, finding a job could be slightly more difficult. Getting the right salary might be slightly more difficult in the next 12 months, mm. but things are going to turn around because long-term prospect of tech is just amazing. 
That's um, great advice. That's great advice. We will definitely pull that that clip, especially for for people who are are maybe a little nervous as they're looking at their current situation. And I think it brings up such a great point that the growth is never linear. It's it's there's some waves in there for sure. I want to talk about Yellow Dig and learning because one thing that you said that really spikes my interest is how you said you're making learning more engaging, more entertaining, more fun. And I'm sure we have some devil's advocates out here listening who are saying, mm, I went through Zoom education and I did not enjoy it so much. So how is Yellow Dig making it more exciting and engaging to learn in an online format? You know, so anybody who has gone through a learning experience or the pandemic, like, you know, Zoom or Zoom University, we kind of always kind of refer to it, is not, I mean, truly online or digital education. Mm -hmm. What happened during that time was, you know, most colleges, universities, they were underprepared. Um, so, you know, essentially overnight, most of these schools or colleges went online through Zoom classes. So we invite like hundreds of students in one class and imagine a teacher talking to hundreds of students on a Zoom meeting, like, you know, Sitting in a classroom in that environment would be boring, but sitting in a Zoom room like that, I most likely are going to switch it off and just go to sleep, right? So, <laughs> so that, that 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 was a reality, and and news media actually picked it up and rightly so, and you know talked about all the negatives of um, you know being an online environment mm -hmm. or that kind of an experience, which is not ideal. Um, I think the exciting part, which is where we are playing in, is that if you think about technology, the power of technology is more than, let's say, what we're used to, like, for example, Zoom or Microsoft Teams or other ways of delivering knowledge, mm -hmm. where um, the basic structure hasn't changed, right? Where you have still have a teacher or instructor teaching to hundreds of students in a live classroom, right? Yeah. But we can reimagine that. I think the power is that you can completely reimagine that by bringing in aspects like game-based learning, where um, if you are a student, I mean, you know how fun it is to play games, right? I mean, Xbox or, you know, those kind of games are so much fun and people want to play all day long. Um, there are ways of actually using game design in the learning process. So we can reimagine how students are learning where they're actually, you know, almost like playing games with one another, but in the yeah. process, they're not just trying to get the ball through the goalposts, but actually learning how to do math or learning how to kind of discuss with one another. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, Roblox or Minecraft, these are incredibly popular, like, you know, any kids, oh, so they much. love it. Mm -hmm. um, they won't stop playing, but imagine a kid being in a classroom, they don't want to get into a classroom, right? So game has a huge potential yeah, in transforming learning. So that's one area we focus on as a company. Um, mm -hmm. The other area we focus on is what we call is that human connections, which is, um, very often we learn by, you know, reading a book or we learn by, you know, whatever is being, you know, given to us and we read it. But but learning is fundamentally human to human where people can discuss a topic um, like social media, like, you know, Facebook or Twitter, where people uh, can actually technically learn. from. We can always debate that whether that happens in Twitter or not. But mm -hmm. uh, but you can technically learn from one another. So so we are bringing all those um, modern you know tech platforms into the learning environment. Um, and, and making it available to colleges and universities. That's fascinating to me. It sounds like you're really trying to meet people where they're at with their interests rather than trying to make everybody fit into a mold of like, here's what's been kind of the classic learning structure, teacher, people sit for an hour and listen. And especially as we're seeing people's attention spans change so much, um, 
that gaming component is really, I think there's some potential there that makes a lot of sense to me. Um, and with the human connection, I, I think that's fascinating too. I mean, I wonder how you navigate that given that we see that in a way now, right? Where everybody can kind of be a journalist in a way now with fact checking and things like that, that becomes its own dimension, right? And differences of opinion. Not that we have to get too far into the weeds, but I imagine people are kind of wondering that in their mind, how how you do kind of navigate that when you're speaking about that human connection piece. Yeah, so, you know, that thing is that if you see the, as you said, right, the modern you know, world that we are living in is social media, for example, has a huge influence. Mm -hmm. We have students who are, you know, kids of all ages or, you know, adults also in social media where they're learning about politics, health, anything that we think about, right? Twitter, for example, or TikTok is a huge big platform for kids and also now adults as well. So it's not that, you know, we have to kind of really think about how human connections can apply to learning. But I think the, the question in our mind is that what's already happening in the modern world, how can we rethink that from the learning standpoint so that we have the right kind of conversation that happens, right? Mm -hmm. So if, if you go to Facebook and let's say I want to talk about something, very often it might happen that Facebook's algorithm is dictating what I'm seeing there, right? So yes. if I'm a you know, Republican or a Democrat or whatever I, my affiliation is, and I'm seeing that content because echo chamber effect is a real thing, yeah. that's kind of shaping public opinion in real time. And that's the world we are living in. So the, the way we are thinking about it is that rather than kind of really having an algorithm shape the public opinion, can we give those tools to educators so that they can effectively engage their audience, which is a student body, and have much more healthy debates um, mm -hmm. with one another, right? So you can take the same example, let's say politics, like we just went to the you know midterm elections. Um, you know, you can actually, if you're teaching, learning about politics, mm -hmm. um, have a debate with your classmates, mm -hmm. uh, not in social media, not driven by algorithms, but actually in a much more inclusive, much more safe environment mm -hmm. where you can voice your opinions and have a much more respectful debate with one another and you know, see different points of views. Um, so I think I mean, that's, that's what you're trying to bring into education. I, I love that. I I think it, I, I'm glad I asked that question because you know I, it really to me speaks to more of an opportunity to help these students develop critical thinking skills, empathy. You know we're seeing people sometimes really struggle to hold dialogue with people who have difference of opinion or. I see that with a lot of my clients where they just kind of shut down, right? Because they're so afraid of saying the wrong thing or asking the wrong question. So to be creating these safer, braver spaces where people can engage in these dialogues, that's wonderful. And I think that's really what we need right now. With this concept of learning in general, I don't know if you see this, but I kind of see learning burnout in a way, you know, especially I work with a lot of you know, college graduates who are just finishing going through, you know, 15 plus years of education and they're they're burned out or they go through the motions of school. Right. But they're not actually taking in what they're learning. How can we help people come back to or start a love of learning so that it's not just this external carrot or a box to check? Yeah, you know, that is, I think, such an important question, which is I you know, if you look at the statistics, about one third of the students who are starting college are not finishing their degrees even after six years. 
Uh, not only people are burning out, they're dropping out, they're not finishing their degrees, but the amount of student debt and colleges are no longer that cheap. So the amount of debt you are keeping and then not even getting a degree or a certificate out of it is a huge problem right now. I think the problem can be solved, but we need different stakeholders to come together to solve the problem, which is, you know, fundamentally, if students are getting burned out, that means that they are not really seeing the value that education is supposed to give them and but if if we, if you talk to an instructor or a professor I mean, they have dedicated their lives to actually teach students so something is going off where students are coming but they're not really getting what they want and the educators are there and they're also getting burned out by the way mm-hmm. um you know there is a number i recently saw is that overwhelming number of teachers in colleges and schools are actually on the verge of also quitting their jobs because they are feeling burned out as well at the same time. Mm. I, think, I think in my mind, the, the, the problem is a lot more systemic right now where, um, where the way we have defined what is to get a college degree or get through schools have been so defined in a way which is not for the modern era. Um, you know, you know, <laughs> It's, it's an old system which worked for a long time. Of course, there were a lot of benefits that came out of that system. Mm-hmm. But I think for the modern you know, generation, these students who are coming to these you know, colleges or schools you know, of all ages, they cannot relate to what they're studying in the classroom to what their real lives are, right? Mm-hmm. right? I mean, I'm spending two years to get a degree, but you know, at the same time, you know, the, what I'm learning may not be that relatable to the job that I'm going to apply to um, so making learning a lot more relevant for the modern world is probably where you know things are at, and and that change is a is a big. I mean, we are a small piece of that puzzle, you know, as an education company, but there are many other things that needs to happen. Yeah. Oh, I feel like we could talk about this a long time. <laughs> I I probably maybe have an unpopular opinion on this, but every time I actually voice this opinion, I find that people are often like, I kind of feel that way too, that I, I don't know. I, I don't necessarily think college is for everyone in the sense that, or at least the traditional model of college, you know, kids are so socialized now, like this is the next step. You're going to go to a college. Uh, and, you know, you get to that college and and what are you actually learning? You know, I, I can say from my own college experience, I did not get very many hands-on skills to actually do my job. Um, and I, I hear from a lot of my peers that that's been their experience too. And, you know, at what point are we going to really start questioning that of like, something's got to change, you know? So the the fact that one thing I'm pulling away from our conversation with Yellow Dick, it sounds like you're really trying to meet folks with where they're at, what their needs are, instead of trying to have people fit into these boxes of like, here's been the standardized norm, Um and who knows this, I imagine this will take a long, long time if it ever comes to fruition. But um, I, I imagine we're probably going to see more and more people at an unrest and frustration with feeling like they're maybe getting an education that's not actually serving their ultimate career. Yeah, and you know, the what do you what do you kind of the, your point around whether college is relevant for everybody? And I do agree it's not for everybody because if somebody wants to build a skill in one area, let's say digital marketing, because they want to take a job in social media manager somewhere, they don't have to go through a two-year program. There are certificates that are, should be available to them 
And some things are happening, by the way. There are companies that are coming up. Um, these could be public companies or private companies, which are offering different ways of learning, such as smaller you know, micro master's programs, which are much shorter certificate programs that you can just take like Coursera or edX. Those kind of providers are offering much lower cost, much more targeted skill oriented learning. Um, mm-hmm. Things are starting to change in that direction. So I think the other thing I would say is that, you know, this whole change in or disruption in, you know, higher education has been happening for quite some time. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there have been a lot of frustration over the last 10, 15 years to kind of some real change to happen. But I think this pandemic is really putting some real pressure where, um, you know, students are starting to ask very clearly to their institutions that whether, whatever they're going to invest time and money in is they're going to get the value and the enrollment numbers are actually speaking up. They're actually voting with the enrollment numbers. So some colleges are gaining enrollment, others are not. And I think it's very important our colleges to kind of wake up and really see that, okay, they really want to be in business five to 10 years down the line, they really have to start to think about student-oriented learning. And things are happening. I mean, given we work with so many institutions, we do see you know many institutions which are acting rapidly. Uh, unfortunately, not everybody, but many of them are. And, and I think uh, it's an interesting space right now. We'll see what happens in the next five, 10 years. You're giving me hope. That's awesome. That's really cool to hear. And and I agree. You know, I do see it more at some institutions than others. You know, I, I think about... You know, um, even my undergrad, you know, I did some work in journalism and I remember being in my internship at NBC News. Now, I'm a a diehard UCLA Bruin. That is where I went to undergrad. I will be proud forever to be a Bruin. But I got to say, those USC Trojan kids, they they knew how to produce, edit, film. And I got in there and I'm like, I can tell you the theories of communication, (laughs) you know, so you know, the fact that I do see that at some schools more than others, where they really are teaching their students the hands-on skills to do the job. Uh, I, I see that evolving that way. Um, and it's it's great to hear from you that, you know, these institutions are making some shifts um, to meet students where they're at and, and what their needs are. Now, switching gears here a little bit, this is a podcast about mental health, and we love to talk about psychology on this show. I really do believe learning when we come at it from the right angle supports our mental health. You know, unfortunately, I think for a lot of us, it's it's been a negative effect with the mental health, right? The stress around finals and midterms and, and the academic pressures. How do you see an opportunity for learning to actually support our mental health rather than hurt it? You know, you know, I think it goes back to making learning a lot more interesting and joyful. Mm-hmm. Um, because you know anything that is fundamentally not joyful and learning should be a joyful process is going to have a negative impact on mental health mm-hmm. um, you know if you take about like any difficult subjects like math math or sciences right so there is always a time where the students might struggle a little bit because they are learning a new concept there might be things that they have to learn first before they actually find the joy in learning. Mm-hmm. But this goes back to the educators to design courses in a way so that the difficulty is kind of designed in a way so that they actually finally finally see some joy out of it, right? Mm-hmm. Now, um, I often say that for these kind of courses, it's always very important to show the applications. Yeah. Um, I'm, if I'm learning something very difficult, the first question is, if I learn this, how is it going to help me? Maybe there's something very unique I can learn or this is being applied in this way that gives the motivation. So 
thinking about motivation, thinking about those things to really make sure that it's a very joyful experience because too often, as you have said this, I've said this, which is it's like almost like check the box, right? Yes. Get to the point and the, the whole joy is out of it. The other thing I'll point out is um, it's also important to have a community um, mm -hmm. because, um, you know, learning just sitting behind a laptop or being in the backbencher is never that enjoyable. So I uh, can mm -hmm. building a community where students feel they're part of a community and they can learn from one another mm -hmm. uh, is important uh, because without that, um, you know, I think uh, human beings are not designed to be just you know, sole operators. I mean, we are, we are social animals. So I think learning should be like that. Oh, I agree with you. And, and I love that you speak about that coming back to the joy of learning and the application piece. I, I see that so missing. You hear students say all the time, why do I need to know this? Why does this matter? And giving people the buy-in of like, here's how this is going to impact your life and what you can do with it. That's that's what we need. Now, Shanik, we always ask our guests, you know, what they do for their own mental health. You're a successful entrepreneur, CEO, founder of Yellow Dig. Uh, clearly, you've had some incredible accomplishments. What do you do on a regular basis to support your own mental health? You know, I think... In, from uh, being a CEO of a company, I mean, of course, you know, challenges are very normal, like, you know, being any demanding role, uh, as you can imagine. Um, I think for me is to make sure that uh, what I'm working on has a higher purpose, uh, which is, I think, is important because often I, you know, very often I'll get into a difficult situation, which is stressful for myself, but I always try to take a step back and think about why I'm even doing this, um, because I did sign up for this role. And the higher purpose is something that I want to build over five, 10 years, as opposed to one or two or three days or a couple of weeks. Mm -hmm. um, that definitely helps me. Um, the other thing which I'm getting better at, which uh, wasn't always the case, which is to kind of take very forced time off. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, often starting a company is 24 seven responsibility. <laughs> Uh, sometimes there's no way around it. I mean, how much ever I'll preach for it in the beginning stages, uh, you know, one may work very hard, but that is not sustainable for too long. So I think it's important to kind of get to the right stage so that um, either have people around who can help uh, and take more load off or take some forced time off. Um, one rule I've set for myself is that for myself and my team, unless there's an emergency, we do not work weekends. And we do not work after 6 p.m. So mm -hmm. if something really bad happens, of course, we are available. But outside of that, we will try to tackle it the next day. So we're trying to put some you know, very simple policies in place so that we can um, sustain it for a long time. Mm, yeah, that sustainability so that the, you and the team don't burn out. And it sounds like you've got some really good boundaries in place. And when it starts with you, the top down, that really has an effect for everybody. Um, Okay, my last biggie question for you. We ask all our guests this question. Uh, no pressure with this one. Shanik, what do you hope your legacy will be? Legacy, okay. So my legacy is hopefully, you know, whatever investment I'm making in education, my hope is that we make a small dent um, in the space. Um, this is how I started the company seven years back. It was just a dream at that point. Um, you know, fast forward now, we do have an impact with a group of institutions. So my hope is that, you know, you know, at least for, for some time, I will carry the torch and at some point, somebody else will carry it forward. So that's the hope. 
Well, I would argue you are making a big dent, not a little dent. And what an enlightening conversation today. I learned so much about the state of education. I feel hopeful hearing how you're sharing changes are being made, that you're seeing it right there on the forefront. I'm excited to see what's happening with the future of learning, how your company is being so innovative with this. And um, considering what a learning deficit we're seeing for our students, we need that more than ever. And I hope this inspires our listeners to get learning a little bit more for the love of it, whether it's through a game or a book you enjoy, um, just coming back to a little bit of learning every day. Shanik, where can people get in touch with you if they want to hear more about your story or learn more about what Yellow Dig is doing? So our website, which is yellowdig.co, is a good place to go if you want to learn more about Yellow Dig. Um, and you can also get in touch with us if you want to learn more. Um, and if you want to connect with me, um, LinkedIn is probably the best way. So you can look up my name, Sean Acroy in LinkedIn and happy to connect with you. Wonderful. Well, Shanik, what a gift to have you on the show today. You are a game changer in the education and the tech space. Uh, so thank you for joining us today. Be well. Thank you so much, Lauren. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for tuning in for today's episode of the Boardroom Brain Podcast. Let's cultivate those networking skills starting today. Share this episode with someone who could benefit from listening and leave a comment and review to let me know what you think. Subscribe to get all the latest episodes and don't hesitate to tell me who you'd love to hear on the podcast. Don't forget that you're always welcome to watch the YouTube version of these episodes as well if you'd like to experience this conversation visually. I always welcome your feedback and I hope today's dialogue sparked your own insights. Here's to fostering those healthy brains both in the boardroom and beyond.